Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. How you believe frames your future, really does. And how you see God frames your destiny, it really does. And so we have to learn to see from his perspective, not ours. If we want the results that scripture says should be forthcoming for all of us. Amen? And it's just as simple as that. It's making the decision to live by what God has said and from his perspective and not from our own. Father, I give you thanks this morning for the incredible grace again that has come to us in the person of Christ. That phrase never just be, I don't know. We are saved because of your grace, your grace, not our works, not our goodness, but it is your gift to us. I mean, that's incredible. It's your gift to us. You so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him might have eternal life. And that's something I have right now and every one of our people that have made that decision have right now. Eternity dwells within them. And they're going to spend eternity in eternal bliss, it says in the scripture. So, Father, we thank you on this side of heaven, though there's much work to be done. You want us to make a thorough application of the life you've allowed us. You want us to be good stewards of the life that you've given us. So, Father, I ask you to help me again this morning. Please grant me utterance in the Holy Spirit. And may you truly attune our ears to your word, not mine, but to your truth. In Jesus' name, Father. I said this so many times in years gone by, but it's always just resonated in my spirit when you spoke to me that it only takes, it only takes one word from heaven, just one word word from heaven to actually be heard by us to to change our entire future to change our entire life if we will have ears to hear what you speak to us from heaven so father as i just try to finish off from last week this morning i ask again that you would truly grant us a strong and a rich measure of your spirit your spirit your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus that you would flood our heart with your light so that we might be able to see what is the hope of our calling. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I thank you for this, Father. I give you praise. I give you praise. I give you praise for it. Amen. 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 What I have discovered is this. There's so we're going to, like I said last week, our, our whole heart, our whole, goal, our whole goal now, like I said, is to really, and I really mean this, I'm not just quote unquote preaching, <laughs> is to move into where we truly have a consistent manifestation of the Father's presence because that's what he wants. And we can categorically, can't we know we can pray this in faith, Father, your will be done on earth. Your will be done. We know we can pray that because Jesus told them to pray that way. That we can pray, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
It is his will that his presence be made manifest in our lives daily, much less at church. It is his will that we understand that we are already filled with God now. We are, God is in us now. All of that potential is there. I mean, otherwise, too much of the scripture we'd have to throw away. But that's, but that's not the case. God and his might and his strength, his grace, his power, everything already resides within us. The Holy Ghost is in us, and yet there's always more of the Holy Ghost. And that's the thing, as I said last week, that keeps striking me. I finally, after all these years, I see what so many guys meant when they kept saying more. Come on, Holy Ghost, more, more, more. It just really hit me because I suddenly saw that it's not that you're like once filled, always filled. I I just really caught it. Not that I didn't, quote, unquote, understand it, but like I've said several times now, you can't. In Christ, you don't live by information. You start by information, but being faithful to it is what it turns in, was what turns it into revelation. Again, to where it's tangible, it's something that's it. It becomes the bread of heaven. You begin to live by the bread of heaven, not by somebody's teaching. But there is always more, and the Holy Spirit always wants to manifest more and more and more. But we need to have a common cry for that. We need to all really catch that more. Spirit of God, I want to understand you more. I want more. I really do want more. I'm, I'm not going to be satisfied. I refuse to become a person that's just satisfied with the, with the norm, satisfied with where it is now. He has paid too great a price. Now, you really do have to meditate on He has paid too great a price for us to remain mediocre. Really, I think to me it's like slapping God in the face to say, this is okay, I'm satisfied with staying here, I don't want to go any further. He did say that he came to give us, I know you can quote the scripture, John 10, 10, but you see, you need to, it needs to strike you fresh every day about, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, man. I mean, to the full, till it overflows. We're supposed to be, I mean, try to get your own mental picture of what that looks like. You know, people have all these wonderful little illustrations like a glass full of water, and they say, that's okay, the glass is full. Well, no, okay, that's full, but then they keep pouring water, goes all over the place, you know, that's overflowing, you know. He, we're supposed to be overflowing, overflowing with his life, his life, my life. Now here, understand how I'm saying this, my life won't change you. It's God's life that will change you. You know what I mean? Now, don't misunderstand. We all carry, quote, unquote, a level of influence, hopefully, by virtue of our own personal relationship with Christ. But you know what I'm trying to say? It is Christ in us that is the hope of heaven being glorified in our lives. And it's learning how to let Christ in us loose. In other words, and we know the word Christ means that anointing, that anointing. So because this is our real pursuit, the presence of God, and finding ourselves in a place where we do, where we wait on the Holy Ghost, where we don't get locked up into some structure to to the point that we structure ourselves out of the power of God. You know, I don't want that for us, and I know you don't want it either. You know, there's no reason why we don't have healings every single Sunday unless we get to the place where everybody's totally whole, hallelujah, and then we just have the other sick coming in off the streets that you jump on in the back and get healed before they get to the third row, hallelujah. Which, ha- which has happened. I've seen it happen. Hallelujah. 
Sorting on the I said all that to say that's why last week the Lord had stopped me Thursday before and said, listen, before you go any further, further pressing that, I want you to deal with this issue of forgiveness, the truth about forgiveness and unforgiveness, because he said, you've got to get that. You won't go much further if you don't really remind the people that this is absolutely critical to establish an environment to where the Holy Ghost can do what he wants to do. I'm telling you, you know, heaven, Christ, the whole story is that man might be forgiven. The whole story is about that man might be forgiven, right? I'm a Christian, a little Christ. My whole story, my whole story should be about forgiveness. My whole story, it shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't be even a question if I name the name of Christ because I carry his DNA. So for us to continue to give in to that particular strategy of the devil is a very sad indictment. And so like I said, I'm just, you know, like they say, if the shoe fits, wear it. I'm not, a t- I'm not wanting to teach us to condemn. I want to teach us to prepare us for really what God wants for us all. And I'm just saying, let's all examine our heart. There's a scripture, Peter, that says, let us, you know, cleanse ourselves from all spiritual filthiness. And unforgiveness is a filthiness to the human spirit that is a block. It's a hindrance to what Christ wants to do through us. Does anybody here want God? I mean, really, you know what I mean? Really, really, not church. You know, we, we hallelujah for church, but you know what I'm trying to say? So basically, what I meant a second ago, in the simplest of terms, this is what I've discovered. There's this, and there's this. There's the higher life, where I follow what Christ says, and there's a lower life. I want to live here, because to me, higher is a better view. Right? Higher is a better view. But I can live down here. I, I have lived down here many times. But even Jesus, remember, he said, if you lose your low life, you'll gain the high life. Right? There is a higher level of life to be lived that gives you a far better view of what's going on, a far better view of life. And you, you, you're just a whole lot better off when you live from that position. That's all I'm trying to say. So let me, I'm going to read just a couple of, just one or two of the verses from last week. Put us back in the picture. Um, this one is in Matthew 6, starting at verse uh, 14, where Jesus is just finishing what he calls, what a lot of people call the Lord's Prayer, but as I just said, it's actually the disciples' prayer. But in verse 14, Matthew 6, 14, it says, For if you forgive people their trespasses, and I do like the Amplified, this word says, their reckless and willful sins, because I know people that are reckless and have willfully sinned. But he said, if you will forgive their trespasses, their reckless and their willful sins, leaving them, leaving them, leaving them, letting them go, I said, let them go and give up resentment, your heavenly father will also forgive you. 
But then he says, and this is Jesus, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, if you don't forgive people their reckless and willful sins. See, the issue is not for you to judge whether it was willful or whatever. I mean, it's just what doesn't make any difference. He said, we're called with his DNA to love like he loves. And he said, if we don't forgive their reckless and willful sins, if we don't leave them, if we don't let them go, if we don't give up resentment, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. That's what he said, right? Amen. He said that. So. I want to be, I want to stay in a position of absolute right standing with God. So to do that, part of my assignment, part of our, our, our assignment is to make sure we always keep clear from unforgiveness. Mark eleven twenty five and 26, again, is where Jesus said, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, let it drop, leave it, let it go in order that your father who is in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your failings and shortcomings. Hallelujah. I turn to second Corinthians, the second chapter. And as I said last week, you know, to me, when you really begin to understand what unforgiveness does, what strife, ill will, bitterness, like it says, give up resentment. You know, there's a scripture that says that resentment is like a canker. It literally says, resentment doth eat like a cancer. And funny enough, I, I looked up, maybe I'll read this now. I, other stuff that I had from like I said I was going to share. Let me just read this while you turn there. Studies show that people who forgive are happier and healthier than those who hold resentments. The first study to look at how forgiveness improves physical health discovered that when people think about forgiving an offender, it leads to improved functioning in their cardiovascular and nervous systems. Another study at the University of Wisconsin found the more forgiving people were, the less they suffered from a wide range of illnesses. The less forgiving people always created, reported a greater number of health problems. According to the respected health website, WebMD, if you can bring yourself to forgive, you are likely to enjoy lower blood pressure, a stronger immune system, a drop in the stress hormones that circulate in your blood. They've proven that back pain, stomach problems, and headaches may disappear when one forgives. And you'll reduce the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, and the depression and other negative emotions that accompany the failure to forgive. While refusing to forgive may not directly cause disease, according to WebMD, the negative impact of holding on to painful memories, the negative impact of holding on, of holding on. There's nobody in here that doesn't have painful memories somewhere. But the negative impact of holding on to painful memories and past wounds can weaken the immune system, making you more susceptible to diseases like cancer. Now, this is a quote from Dr. Stephen Standiford, who is the chief of surgery at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Quote, it's important to treat emotional wounds or disorders because they actually hinder someone's reactions to treatment, even someone's willingness to pursue treatment. In fact, listen to this, forgiveness therapy, forgiveness therapy is now an integral part of treatment at all our cancer treatment centers in America because they know there's something about forgiveness and unforgiveness, people carrying this stuff in their spirit, that affects their physical body to the point that it actually kind of opens the door for cellular damage 
that can bring cancer. In other words, we're just trying to say it's, it's amazing when science catches up with Scripture. That's all. So the issue is even science says it's silly. It's foolish to waste your energies when, you know, to, to waste your energies about staying angered, holding on to strife, holding on to ill will or resentment or bitterness. But again, this is why we have to be rid of excuses because we all have an excuse and normally that excuse can in our mind be justified because of what somebody did. And see, the thing about forgiveness, and it's not that you justify the harm or the wrong that somebody else has done. It's just that you give higher significance to the truth that God shares with you. In other words, it's not a matter of letting somebody go scot-free. I got a bunch of other comments I don't know if I'll get to or not from an article that's really interesting. But nevertheless, so I'm just saying, and like I said last week, why would anybody want to create distance between themselves and God's grace. It's that statement is what gets me, because that's how he spoke it to me all those years ago. He said, when, you, when I was first began teaching the love walk, he said, one step out of love is a step into darkness. You don't see as well. And he said, why do you want to put yourself in a position where you don't see as clearly as you can, why would you want to hold on to something that categorically, I've told you all through scriptures, is going to harm you? And again, we all know, like I said, this isn't a topic that we haven't heard of all of us before, but it's crazy when you think about the fact that if you're holding unforgiveness against somebody, you're not even, they don't even know normally. You're not hurting them. It's poison to you. And so there has to be something bigger. I always put it that I, I, my statement has always been, who's going to choose to be the bigger man? Somebody has to, gets to be bigger. And what I mean by that is just, I'm going to forgive. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go to unforgiveness. I mean, you just make that decision. Do you have opportunity to go? To, oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, you know, all of us here, I've had some incredible, incredibly wrong, bad things happen in my life. To, you know, like the, most of you have heard my testimony, but like the guy that... Uh, when I was back in the day when I was trying to go straight, I wasn't a Christian yet, but I'd trying to give up. I, you know, I'd been a herald, now I'd been to prison, all this kind of stuff, and and uh, how these police, uh, state agents, and some couple of federal agents, whatever, really, really, this one local sheriff, he just hated my ever living guts. But I, I was come out of prison. I was trying to make it. I'm trying to work, you know, and I'm at home with my mom and dad because I was waiting to get enough money, job, so I could get my own place again. And I don't want to go through the whole thing because it's too much. But long and short of it is they brought this guy all the way from Texas to California just to set me up. And the way they got him close to me was because my father used to every Christmas and like Thanksgiving, he'd pick up, he'd find a homeless person, somebody like that, and bring him and feed him and take care of him. That was, my dad had that in him. And so they had him come and get close to my dad and then me get to know him. And he just pressured and pressured and pressured me and pressured me until... Well, he just said, you used to use, you know, and I said, yeah, because I wasn't using drugs anymore. I was trying to make it, you know what I mean? I'm, I want to make it. But the guy kept, you know, you always still know where to get something if you come from that world. And anyhow, so he kept pressing, pressing, and finally, you know what I mean, to get him off my back. I went and I got him a, a balloon of heroin. 
And, uh, you know, he, I met him at this liquor store. It's like, in, just like in the movies, just like in TV. <laughs> met him in the liquor store. And I go to him, he said, come on, give it to me, give it to me. You know, I'm good. Well, whatever. And I went, and just as I, I looked at him, I looked in his eyes and I saw that something. You know what I mean? But anyhow, but he just took it from me like that. And instantly I just, I heard this clang and I looked across the street and over there was this camper, you know, like a pickup truck with a camper shell on it. Doors open and these sheriff deputies bailed out, jumped out of one side. I looked in my rearview mirror and there's cops back there and there's cops up here and over here. This guy had a parabolic microphone. And I mean, and I, I did like the movies. I, I ripped out of there in my car. I had a fast car. I literally outran the cops. They really chased right. The whole bit like in the movies. Except I, I won. <laughs> outran the cops, went up in the mountains to this cabin that uh, my dad had built and uh, hung out up there. But the thing is, uh, when my dad heard about it, because dad, like I said, was uh, when he heard that I had been set up and it was because of this guy that got close to him, that's my dad had a stroke and within five, six days he died. And, you know, and it was one of these things that I feel like, oh my God, I've killed my dad. You know what I mean? And, uh, and anyhow, they call a guy that knew how to get a hold of me. Three days after I'd gone over the mountains, he, he said to me, he said, Rod, Rod, he said, have you heard about your dad? And I said, no, what, what? And he said, your dad's had a stroke, man. He's in the hospital. They don't know if he's going to live or not. And I said, what? And so I just came right back down to town. I turned myself in. And because of those days, because of my dad's situation, anyhow, this, this attorney allowed, they, anyhow, I got out to go to the hospital and see him and all this stuff. And I've, I, I got to be careful here because it's such a long story. I don't want to. I'm not anointed to give my testimony, as it were. But anyhow, my dad saw Jesus, and which blew my mind because he was an old Missouri, hard, hardcore Missouri carpenter, ex bare knuckles boxer. And um, when you know that guy said to me, Rod, I've seen Jesus. He stood at the end of my bed. I, looked, I said, Dad, you're on drugs. <laughs> I said, you're in the hospital. I said, you know, they've got you on all kinds of stuff, boy. And he grabbed my hand, squeezed my hand and said, Rod, Jesus Christ stood at the end of my bed. I never, ever heard him talk about Jesus. We're very, very nominally Christian, if you know what I mean. And he went on to tell me, he said, Jesus appeared to me and said to this, this, and this. And he said to me, he said, he told me that you don't worry, your life's going to turn out okay. And just simple things like that. And share a little bit more and said, uh, take care of mom and what have you. And then I went back, and then they took me back to the county jail where I was in a 12-man cell with 28, 28 guys, really comfortable place. And uh, anyhow, and then he died. And I'm in jail, and I figured, you know, I'm just gone. I mean, you know, that's it. I've, my dad's dead. I feel like I'm partly responsible, to say the least. And then let me jump ahead. God, you know, teen challenge comes. They pray for me. I received the Lord. I don't, didn't feel no lightning bolts, didn't feel any of that kind of stuff at all. But I, I went back to that cell and I, I, you know, you don't know, you don't know, but something changed. I didn't know what it was. You know, I go back in the cell, guys are fighting, screaming, yelling stuff back and forth. And anyhow, well, God, I could tell you again, the whole story, God works this incredible miracle in the courtroom. I've got state agents, I've got federal agents, I've got local guys, this one Captain Bob Crafton of the Kern County Sheriff's Department, he's the one that hated my guts. I've told you the story, like I said, but I've got an attorney that's a crook. That's starting. When your attorney cusses out the judge, it doesn't make you feel secure. You know what I mean? James Keon, I'll never forget him. 
And I'd gone in there, I had my brown paper sack with my two pair of underwear, my toothbrush, and my toothpaste, because I knew I was going back. And this time, because of my previous convictions, I was going to do, excuse me, I'm not swearing, but it was called the bitch. <laughs> 15 years to life, minimum. And in those days, I meant 14 years, nine months to your first board appearances, then three automatic three-year denials. So I was looking at a minimum of 24 and a half years. And I knew that was it, because Ronald Reagan was the governor then, and that was when they'd have what they called the three strikes law. If you go three times, you're gone. And that was my third strike. So I, I knew, and so I was preparing myself. I'm divorced. I'm going to divorce myself from the world because I'm gone. You know, I know I'm gone. And then, uh, you know, but that guy, when he prayed for me, Tom Alexander, an ex-bank robber from Teen Challenge, when he prayed for me, afterwards he looked at me and said, Rod, I know you don't understand this, but now greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And I said, yeah, okay. what's that mean? You know, okay. Anyhow, go through the court process, boom, 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 back and forth. They're showing, they're telling, they're showing things, and they have what's called FBI yellow 125 forms that are showing how I used to meet yachts from Mexico and the bales, not red, but we had bales of marijuana, like the size of hay, you know, hay bales. And blah, blah, blah. And half of it was, was an absolute lie, just totally fabricated stuff. Anyhow, Tom gets up, Alexander, he's out there, and he puts his hand up, and he says, oh, Judge, I just want you to know the Teen Challenge is interested in Mr. Anderson. And, you know, and the judge said, yes, 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 I know. He said, I know Teen Challenge. I know all about it. He said, et cetera, et cetera. But anyhow, but they're going through all this court thing, and the judge, just like in a movie, he all of a sudden, he takes that gavel, and he goes, and he says these classic words. He said, I don't know why I'm going to do this. But he said, I'm going to probate Mr. Anderson to the program of Teen Challenge for nine months. And nine months to 25 years is different. And he said, if he messes up one time, he goes straight to CNC, CIC, Cal uh, you know, uh, Corrections Reception, CRC, California Corrections Reception, something, Chino State Prison. Yeah, and he said, if he messes up one time, he goes. But he said, if, if he comes through solid, we got what we want, a new citizen, you know. And he goes, boom, do that, and basically he says, that's it. Case is closed, dismissed. And the sheriff's captain jumped from the table, ran across the courtroom, jumped over my table, grabbed me by the throat, got me on the ground, and was wanting to kill me. This guy hated me. And the bailiff, you would have had to see it. It was funny. The bailiff runs over there trying to pull him off. The sheriff's deputy pulling off of me. And bam, all this stuff's going on. And people and cops, and they finally get him off. He's mad, man. The deputies leave, the agents leave, what have you. Everybody leaves the courtroom but me, because I don't know what to do. So I'm sitting at this oak table in this big oak courtroom. Judges left, bailiffs left, secretaries left, attorneys have left, prosecutions left. I don't, I, I don't know what's happened. I'm in shock. I'm, but I got my little brown paper bag with my underwear, my toothbrush, and my toothbrush. And, uh, I'm alone in this big room. All of a sudden, the back door opens. I mean, the, the door to the hallway, you know, where you walk in. The courtroom is open, and it's Tom from Teen Challenge. And he goes, and he opens up, he's got this big smile, and he says, Hey, Rod, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You know? And he said, You're a free man. Let's go. You know? And I'm like berserk, and he takes me down to the local to Teen Challenge in Bakersfield, which is the, the third largest in the U.S. at the time. And he walks me in the front door, and I hear all this noise, and he walks me to this next door, and he knocks on the door, and there's about 12 people, Tom Tiemann's director of Teen Challenge, 
Ferdinand Mancius, all these guys, all in a circle, all praying in some crazy language. I never heard of my life. And Tom opens the door and says, look who I've got with me. You know, and they all went nuts and freaked out. And I'm still trying, what in the age has happened? But anyhow, so God does all that for me. I get sent to Teen Challenge, right? I get sent to Teen Challenge. God has worked a miracle. Don't know what's going on. People are praying for me. They're singing in funny languages. People are raising their hands. What on earth are people raising their hands for? You know, it's all trippy to me. But I'm there, and God begins to reveal himself to me. But like I said, I'm taking way too much time in this. And because they had me working for a while in the mailroom, but then they'd have me working back and forth in, in, what, in the admissions area. And God, what comes across the plate, what comes across the uh, desk is that this guy who set me up, who caused my dad to have a stroke and die, is coming to Teen Challenge. Now, I'm not saved much. I don't know about sex. But you'll have to forgive me, but the way my life had been, I knew what I had to do. Because technically, to my, you know, my dad's dead. So there's no question about it. I'm going to kill him. It's just that simple. It wasn't a matter of, it's just the rationale that you, you're brought up with when you do time in prison, when something happens to one of your family. So I got some stuff together, thought it through, and I'm sitting here, and I'm, you know, I get a tool or two, and uh, waiting for him to show up. And then one night on Thursday night, they had a praise in. Thursday night, they had a thing, they had praise in. There was a big courtyard, and they'd have worship and praise. Ron Perry was singing, this guy that had been Mr. Teen USA, and uh, who became a close friend, incredible guitarist, incredible keyboard guy. And anyhow, uh, he started playing, and I'm sitting there in this thing outside on Thursday Thursday evening, about 7 o'clock at night, still sunny in Southern California, lovely. And he starts singing this old song, I don't know, if, sometimes hallelujah. Sometimes hallelujah, sometimes praise the Lord. But I have a professional voice, as you can tell. But something happened to me, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm listening, and I, my hand goes up. And I'm going, you know, I did. I did, honest to God. And then I'm talking in a language I don't know. I get baptized in the Holy Ghost, didn't know what it was all about. So uh, next week I go back in here, but I'm going through hell and back because of this guy is coming, my dad's dead. And long and the short of it, I threw my head back one day and I started crying. Lock, went and locked myself in the post of the mailroom. And I started, uh, I was crying, quite frankly, just crying my head off because I was just so conflicted. Because I'm just starting to see that this stuff about this Jesus person, I think it's real. I, I don't understand any of it yet, but these, I, something about this stuff is real. I don't know what it is, but something about it's real. And I'm crying and whatever like that. And then I got to crying so loud that all of a sudden something shifted and I started laughing. I mean laughing. And then I thought, I'm going crazy. <laughs> I did. I thought, I'm going nuts. Something's I mean, I started not laughing. I mean laugh. I mean convulsion laughing. What? <laughs> you know, I mean, just flipped out, cracking up, going crazy, berserk laughing. And like I said, I literally knew I was going to go, I thought, that's it, I'm done, I'm going crazy, you know. 
And then out of my mouth, without thinking about it, I yelled over and over again, it's too late. It's too late. I'm never going back. I'm never going back. I'm never going back. And just something snapped in me. And I'd like to say the hatred went away. And most of it did. But I'd be a liar if I didn't say this. the stigma wasn't still there. But something snapped in me. So now I've gone way too far. There's a whole lot more to the story. But let me just say, I know what pain is too. I know what it is to not want to forgive. I mean, to do everything opposite of that. I mean, in some serious situations to, I mean, do harm to somebody because I knew how to do harm. I, I used to get, never mind. <laughs> oh my God, I'm such a sweetheart now. Aren't I, honey? <laughs> I love it. She put her hand on her mouth. (laughs) Oh, but I'm saying so. See, all of us have, whether they're dramatic or not that dramatic, we have things in life that maybe I can, you know, the statement is always simple. I can never forgive that. I'm never going to be able to forgive this person. I'm never going to do that. Never. Well, if you do, you cripple yourself. And so everything is by faith in this stuff of Christianity. We forgive not because we feel like it. You should forgive because you should have enough intellect to understand what the scripture says happens when we don't walk in forgiveness. If nothing else, I'm just saying. You don't wait for a feeling to do something right when it comes to Christianity. You do something right because Christ said, this is right, this is wrong. I can live here, I can live here. There's only two levels. There's only two kingdoms that the Bible teaches. I can either live from here, the higher life, or I can stay angry, stay full of bitterness, have all kinds of resentment. And I said, because legitimately somebody's hurt you. Legitimately, we're not saying they didn't do it. But the point is, will you be bigger? Can you be bigger than them? Can you? And the answer is, yeah, you can But it is a choice. God never presses you into anything. It is a choice. Now here in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, Paul is talking about, in 1 Corinthians, they dealt with this issue where somebody in the church had been found in deeply immoral um, sin to the point that a guy had committed incest. And in the first chapter, I mean in the first book of Corinthians, he tells the church to expel him, to excommunicate the guy out of the church because of what he's done and to have no fellowship with him whatsoever. Well, they do that evidently. In the second book here, in this chapter here, we discover that the guy evidently, the church did what they were supposed to do to get rid of him because a little leaven leavens a whole lump. When you've got that type of sin in a church and there's not any form of quick repentance or something in there, you say goodbye, which is, that takes great courage to say somebody in here that we love deeply and that does something very, 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 very wrong and immoral. Um, I believe in the love of God. You know that I do. But I still, for the sake of everybody, know what Scripture says. I would have to tell them goodbye to see if they could bear the fruit of repentance. 
You know what I mean? That's if you're a good pastor, you better understand that. Nevertheless, so, but evidently this guy did. So now Paul here in um, 2 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 4, he says, For I wrote you out of great sorrow and deep distress, talking about the, with mental torture and anxiety of heart. Yes, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but in order to make you realize the overflowing love that I continue increasingly to have for you. Verse 5. But if someone, the, the one among you who committed incest, has caused all of this grief and pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, he has distressed all of you. Verse 6. For such a one, this censure by the majority, which he has received, is sufficient punishment. Now watch what he says in verse 7. Now remember, this guy's committed incest, had his father's wife, mother. But think about what would you think if I got up and did what he did? They, and, and it talks about that you, the scriptural word is that you mark someone. Literally, you stand up, You've sinned, you've done this before God. I mark you in front of this whole congregation. You need to leave. Now, if I did that in front of all of you, it would be a different Sunday service, wouldn't it? But I mean, you would, it would, it would really speak loudly to you. But think about, so everybody finds out about this guy and you're thinking, my God, he's committed incest. Let's say he's a child molester, something, whatever this, I mean, not just something that's despicable, which this was far more than that to them. It's too much to go into the Judeo ethic here about why that was even worse than what we would think pedophilia would be. But think about, you see them go, and then a, a year goes by, 18 months goes by, and I walk into church with this guy. Now, all of you are smiling and talking, having fellowship, and you turn around and you see him. And what's the first thing that's going to go through your heart, through your spirit, when you see him? The memory of what you knew he did, right? Right? You hear me? But see, this is where the love of God, this is where we really begin to comprehend the strength, the power of God's gospel, and whether or not we measure up to what he sees as Christian maturity. Verse 7, instead of further rebuke now, you should rather turn and graciously forgive, comfort, and encourage him to keep him from being overwhelmed by excessive sorrow and despair. Verse 8, I therefore beg you to reinstate him in your affections. That means put him right back in the place that he was before he fell. Now, uh, do you understand that can be a little difficult for some people to say, at least of course it is. That's crazy. But it's gospel. He expects us to have a deep understanding of the power of his love toward us, his love in us, but his love through us. We are life changers. You loving those who do not deserve to be loved changes life. But it takes a truly mature and strong spirit. It really does 
to stand before someone that you'd like to slap. Really. Or you'd like to hurt. I mean, when I was in prison ministry, I'd never forget this couple wanted to attend us as mother and I mean, the husband and wife wanted to attend and uh, this particular prison. Long and short of it, they got special permission to see this one inmate who had raped their daughter, dismembered her, you know, and killed her. And uh, I was there. They went, they sat before him, and they looked him straight in the face and said, we want you to know that we serve the risen Christ, and we want you to know he sent us here to tell you that we forgive you. Now, I got a daughter. I'll be honest with you, I don't know if I could be that big. But they said, and they, and this dude, I mean, he just, he just shook. It's like something, it's like he was hit in the side of the head with a hammer. Hap Collins was his name. He was all over the news back then. And this guy shook, and slowly but surely the tears started to come. And before they got done, it was about 45 minutes later, they were holding hands with him, prayed with him. Yes, they did lead him to the Lord. I mean, can you imagine having such a revelation of Christ? Julie said it many times, that when you, when you see a little bit of what hell is, you don't want anybody to go near hell. To see the value he places on life is something I don't know that we'll ever attain to on the planet Earth. The value to understand that this, this couple were able to forgive a guy who'd raped, dismembered, killed their daughter, and he then received eternal life and escaped all the penalty for everything he'd done. That is what God does for people who actually repent and receive. We are forgiven. There's nobody he won't forgive for no crime they've committed. And of course, there's only one thing, and that's what we all know, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which in real short terms is simply the rejection of Jesus Christ because he came to convict the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. But think about that, that people on this side of heaven can love like that, where there's absolutely, there's no physical spirit, there's no reason other than that's how God is. And God can be that big in you and I. Yeah. People don't easily get, you know, as the old Jonathan Edwards used to try to scare people into salvation, you know, by telling them how hot hell was and the old Reformation, and many did, but it's still the love of God that draws people to repentance. And it's not telling them how bad they are. It's like Bobby, I was thinking about just, I thought about Bobby going to these clubs with these, what are they called, angels? What kind of angels? Club angels, where they go to these clubs where there's the raves and all this stuff, and all the females and the guys all doing their stuff and, you know, using drugs, planning their sex trips and the whole bit. But, you know, they don't need Bobby and this other group going in there and telling them how sinful they are. How dare you be like this? How dare you? What, you know, they, it's when somebody just comes in there and you smile at them and you love them. Because all of us who were lost in sin, know, we knew we didn't deserve to, quote, unquote, be loved. There's, we already know there's something wrong. We're funky. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something. We're off down in here. 
There's still no greater message, you see, than the love of God. So bring it on back to here, like I said, in forgiveness. Watch what Paul says. I therefore beg you to reinstate him, verse 8, in your affection. Assure him of your love for him. I mean, the guy that may have molested a child two years ago. Man, can we push? Could we be that much? Could we have more awareness of his love and grace than we would have of a physical event that happened here? See, that's, that's what, that's when you begin to understand the weight of Christianity, not just church. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, copy God, be an imitator of God who loved us to the point. He said, be like Jesus who gave himself as a sweet smelling sacrifice. But he goes on to say, reinstate him in your affections but why assure him for your love for him verse 9 for he said for this was my purpose in writing you to test your attitude and see if you would stand the test whether you'll be obedient and altogether agreeable to following my orders and everything verse 11 verse 10 says if you forgive anyone anything i too forgive that one and what i have forgiven if i have forgiven anything has been for your sakes in the presence and with the approval of Christ the Messiah. But again, why? Verse 11. Here's the verse. To keep Satan from getting the advantage over us, for we're not ignorant of his wiles and his intentions. Deep word study there. The moment you hold on to resentment, to the degree that you hold on to unforgiveness, you open the door. You give Literally, the word advantage in the Greek, it speaks to give a place to. You give him a place to function legally in your life. Did, did you really hear that? When you hold on to unforgiveness, you legally give, this, you give Satan, you legally give Satan the right to be in your affairs. I... Uh, James 3, put up James 3.16 real quick, if you would. Unbelievable. Again, I've just cut into my introduction. James 3.16, and the tongue is a fire. Whoops, is that 3? No, 16. I'm sorry, James 3.16, not 3.6. For wherever, say wherever. For wherever there's jealousy, envy, Contention. Now, the word contention is the word for strife. Contention. Wherever there's contention, there will also be. There will also be. There will also be confusion, unrest, disharmony, rebellion, and all, all sorts of evil and vile practices. What that tells us is, the, is if, you, if you feel like you, you need or you, you can't help, you, I'm going to hold on to this luxury of strife. Words, this passage basically, again, look at it in Luanita's lexicon. It literally says you open the door to all satanic activity. Jealousy, contention. I'm going to stay angry at them for the rest of my life. You don't know what they did to me. 
Well, you don't know what you're doing to you. Like I said, you can't do this by feelings. You do this through obedience to a higher call. I want to live a higher life. I don't want my future messed with. I've made enough mistakes already, just wrong decisions or not as good decisions I could have made. But one thing I know, I'm not going to stay angry at people. I might get angry, but I won't stay angry. I might feel unforgiveness, but I'm not going to stay in unforgiveness. I might be resentful, but I'm not going to stay resentful. See, the thing is not that that stuff doesn't come, but you don't let it stay. You learn to jump on it as fast as you can. Like my daddy used to say, like a chicken on a June bug. Because we had 5,000 chickens. We had 5,000 white leg and chickens and these things called a June bug, like a beetle. Every once in a while, one of these beetles and these were a yard like where the chickens ran free. A bug landed in that yard. I mean, that bug was gone. It was gone, man. I mean, that quick because them birds would go. I'm just trying to say, that's how fast. The moment it rises up. Oh, Jesse DePlantis there and teach once and he said, he said, I tell you, he said, this guy said this to me and he said, I could feel the Louisiana hot sauce rising through my legs. I could feel the hot sauce coming up in my legs. In other words, I'm... Hallelujah. To keep Satan from getting an advantage over us. I don't want Satan to get advantage over any one of you. I want God's Holy Spirit to have the place, to have the advantage in this church. So this is, again, why we have to deal with some of these things. Now, if you'd, if you'd allow me just to go through, because I just already saw what the time it is. There's so many things. You could go to Luke. Don't go here. Uh, Luke 15, the prodigal, the whole story about the father. It's one of the most beautiful stories in Scripture. The kid goes out, spends all his money on loose living, loses his fortune. He says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of my servants and my father's house to sit down. And he comes back and he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the beautiful thing is that the prodigal's father represents our father, right? He won't even respond to his son's talk about how bad he's been. All he says is, get, my, get the beautiful robe, put the ring on his finger, and let's have a barbecue. God won't even talk to you about your sin if you run to him. Because he's good, good, oh, oh. He's good, good, oh, oh. He's good, good, oh, oh, oh. He's good, good. He is. Like I said in the very beginning, the revelation of the goodness of God is still, it's, it's the heart of correct interpretation of all scripture. All interpretation of scripture must be done with the character of God in mind. And his character is, he is love. Hallelujah. So does that. Then there's Matthew 3, verses 21 through 24, where it says, again, if you remember, bring your, if you come and you bring your gift up to the altar and you remember that you have ought against your brother, leave your gift at the altar, go and make amends with your brother, and then come back and offer the gift. In other words, he says, your gift, your offerings aren't going to produce much when there's unforgiveness in your heart. Leave your gift there. Go get right. Give right. Then come back and your offering really, really produce what it's supposed to do. 
Another thing, real quick, like I said, I don't have time to go through them, and I don't want to go here next week. And like Luke 5, 18 to 25 is when Jesus, where they bring in this guy and they lay him at his feet. And, you know, the Pharisees, but Jesus says, uh, man, you're forgiven of your sins. The guy needs healing. But Jesus says, you're forgiven of your sins. And the Pharisees go nuts and say, what are you, how, who can forgive sins but God only? Of course, they didn't know they were looking at God only. But anyhow, but then Jesus made this incredible truth, like I said, that is a whole worthy of at least three hours of teaching on its own. He said, which is easier? To say unto somebody, thy sins be forgiven, or to say, pick up thy better walk? Because it's the same power that forgives is the same power that heals. And he said, they're both just as easy. What would happen if we really saw that healing? When you ask God to forgive you, how long does he take to forgive you? A week? Month? Year. Huh? Think about it. Instantly. Which is easier, forgiveness of sin or healing? See, to heaven, there shouldn't be all that much difficulty in the area of healing. But again, what we believe we have empowered. We make things far more difficult than they are by our tradition, or we make the Word of God literally no effect by our tradition. And all of us have tradition. What we've been accustomed, like in Corinthians, I, one of my favorite things to teach is where it talks about food offered to idols. And he said, for some people, through all their lives being accustomed to thinking. See, all of us have been accustomed to thinking in a certain way much of our life. And how you've been accustomed to thinking is how you measure life and how you do life. But what if the way you think is wrong? And that's why... Well, we go to the book because the book is truth and you choose to start thinking like he says so forgiveness and healing always run hand in hand all the script you know bless the lord all my soul forgetting all, all his benefits who forgives all my iniquities who healeth all my diseases forgives all my iniquity heals all my disease the same verse you know it's over and over again you find that in scripture so have better aware as well then in um oh my god well pro, don't Proverbs 17, 14, put up these real quickly and we'll just say a few more words about these and in another hour or two I'll be done. Can you put up Proverbs 17, 14? Oh, you did. The beginning of strife is, I know you know these, but listen to it because this is how simple it is. The beginning of strife is as when water first trickles from a crack in the dam. Deep revelation here. Therefore, stop contention before it becomes worse and quarreling breaks out, right? He says, in other words, see, strife, unforgiveness, it always starts small. It's just a little something, a little misunderstanding. Just a teeny weeny wee, just a little bitty understanding. You know, like I told you last week, you know, when I do teach a love walk, I always kind of forewarn people. I say, now watch, you know, one thing we know, Mark 4, Jesus said that when the word comes, Satan comes immediately to steal the word. I said, so let me tell you, as you begin to listen to these 12 sessions on on the love of God, when you walk out of these sessions, be prepared because he will come to steal this truth, this message. And I said, like, it is funny, you know, you get in the car, husband or wife, like I said, and you're driving it. 
oh, I feel tired today. And somebody, and you know, and you're, you look over at your wife and say, what did you say? I feel tired today. What did you say? I, what I mean is, it, I have nothing to do with it, but all of a sudden you're irritated by it. You slept longer than I did. Well, you always sleep better than I do. You've got the better pillow. I mean, just dumb, totally dumb stuff. And all of a sudden, we want a divorce. And the guy just said, what do you want a divorce for? Well, it's about our pillow. I mean, that's how... Stupid. Can you imagine? This is why the old story you've heard me say that God has a flat spot on his forehead. Remember? He's looked down to earth. He's looking down here, watching what they're doing. He goes, You know, how dumb can people be? It's always just, it's like when water first starts trickling. Hallelujah. Stop it. But not, some of them are really deep ones. Um, Proverbs, oh my gosh, can I, 26. Put up Proverbs 26, verses. Verse 20 and 21. Proverbs 26, verse 20. Now, this is deep, heavy revelation here. Come on. There it goes. Listen to this. This is deep. Are you ready? Can you receive this? Where lack of wood, for lack of wood, fire goes out. Deep. Listen. If you run out of wood, you run out of fire. For lack of wood. The fire goes out. Where there's no whisper, contention ceases. In other words, quit putting more wood on the fire. You don't have to be a Rhodes scholar to figure that out. Quit. Don't put any wood on the fire. But you know what we're like. You walk in, you know, an hour later, and I don't know. <laughs> just something man Buddhist you know that's human nature we'll put some more wood on the fire but it distances you from the spirit of God you don't God has what you and I need I, why would we want to like I said again last week I use the word petty because I just happened to look it up why do we let something so petty distance us from the very solutions of Almighty God that are waiting for us. Why, you know, can we not just say, I don't, I'm not simply going to go there. I be angry and sin not. So you can be angry and not sin by not staying angry. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Right? Like I said, it's legitimate. I understand in the world you will have tribulation. Stuff upsets me still. I make mistakes. But I've, I've, I've made the decision. I think I said it last week, but I'm serious about this. I have made the decision to harness my mouth. My mouth is going to be full of blessing. My mouth, even though it says for a woman that in her mouth should be the law of kindness, I've taken that from me too. I want the law of kindness in my mouth. And as part of my daily prayer now, Father, the law of kindness will be in my mouth. Now, our dogs do some stupid things at home, and every once in a while I say things to them that do not have the law of kindness on them. <laughs> Julio said, Rob, don't say that, don't you? I told him, I said, I'll skin this dog and barbecue it if it keeps messing. <laughs> <And> every, 
it keeps messing up, I'm telling you, man. It's me crazy. And we all know, you don't have to go there, but, you know, James 3, 5 is where it says, how great a fire a little spark starts. Now, for, let me, I'm going to try to finish this. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. And this is basically some of the some of the verses I always go to about God's love, but it, they're just there's so I mean you know you need to read the whole book of First John about three billion times in the Amplified actually, Hallelujah. But First John chapter two, in verse uh, nine, like I said, I could read the whole thing, but verse nine says, "Whoever says he's in the light, and yet hates his brother," and the word hate means just have disregard for. It. Hates his brother, Christian, born again, child of God, is in darkness even until now. Look at the blessing, though, of verse 10. Whoever loves his brother, believer, abides and lives in the light and in it or in him, there's no occasion for stumbling or cause for error or sin. Now, it would not put that in there if if we didn't have the capacity to do this. Walk in the light. God is light. God is love. Those are the only two major statements in Scripture about who he is. He is light. He's love. They're both the same. To walk in love is to walk in light. To walk in strife is to walk in darkness. You hear me? Verse 11 says, But he who hates or detests or despises his brother is in darkness and walking in the dark. He is strained and does not perceive or know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 3, right next door. Oh, my gosh. Um, <sighs> verse 14. This is the one that I camp on a lot. Put up 1 John 3, 14. I think I'll just close with this one because, my gosh, I need to. But really, look at this, okay? Look at this. What's it say? We know. Everybody say, we know. Yeah. That we've passed over out of death into life by what? By the fact that we love the brethren. See, I said last week, I found that phrase, love is the badge, the badge of discipleship. Love is the badge of discipleship. Love is the proof of being born again. Love is the proof. I said love is the proof. If you don't want to love, we have to question your salvation. Seriously, that's what the scripture actually says. Who We know that we have passed over out of death into life by the fact that we love the brother. He who does not love abides, remains, is held and kept continually in spiritual death. Now, spiritual death means separation from the presence of God. Remember, you've heard me over the years, death, no place in scriptures does the word death mean the cessation of existence. Death always means separation. Spiritual death means to be separated from the presence of God. He who does not love, if you want, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, you've made the choice to be held in a place of separation from God. I don't want that in any of us because I want, I want, I want him here. I want him in our midst. I want it to be so easy for somebody to walk in and be healed. I want it to be so easy for somebody who knows they're a rotten sinner to walk in and get gloriously saved and literally have their life changed from that moment for the rest of their life. 
I want that, but see, that's what I said. I'm just trying to obey God here. He told me, do this before we go anywhere else. Spiritual debt. He who doesn't walk in the love of God. One step out of love is a step into darkness. One step. One step. Now, the way I've always illustrated this, I'll give this illustration and I'll stop again. How many of you know that I am an American citizen? Let's all celebrate. Hallelujah. I am an American. I have an American passport like DeAndre. Some of us are just blessed, right, DeAndre? Hallelujah. God bless America. Land of the free. Stand beside her and guide her. DeAndre's going to minister on that later. Or maybe David is. I think David's going to always talk about love. But listen, do you know in America... We drive on the right-hand side of the motorway. No, it's the right side. We drive on the right-hand side. Now, I'm an American citizen. We drive on the right-hand side of the road. But do you know it's a funny thing? If I pull out of here today and I go to get on the M4 and I get on the right side of the motorway, which is the correct side. It's the correct side. I'm an American citizen. We drive on the right. If I get on the right side of the motorway, do you know that English police will have the audacity to pull me over? They'll pull me over. And they'll walk up to the window, and they walk to the window and say, Sir, what are you, you're on the wrong side of the road. And I said, No, I'm not. I'm an American citizen. We drive on the right-hand side. And he says, Sir, no, you have to drive on this. I said, No. I pull out my passport. See? I am an American citizen. It says right here, I'm a Yank. I'm an American citizen. I don't care what they did in World War II that you don't like. I'm an American citizen. I am an American citizen. It's my right. I drive on the right-hand side of the road. You know what he'll say to me? He'll say, "Uh, sir, you ain't in America right now. You in this country, and when you're in this country... You have to walk by the laws of this land, right? But see, you've got to see what that translates into. Galatians 3.13 says, We have all been redeemed from the curse of the law by Christ becoming a curse for us. The Bible says we've been, when we were born again, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of the son of his dear love. I'm redeemed. But you know what? Listen. I can step out of that kingdom anytime I want to. Just like you can fly to another nation, you can fly where the curse still works. One step out of love, one, this thing of holding on to unforgiveness means that you've, you've voluntarily stepped back into the place where the curse still is alive. The curse of the law is still in the earth. You do know that. Otherwise, there would be no pollution. There would be no nothing no matter what. The curse of the law is still here. But God has redeemed us from it. All we have to do is walk in the light. But if you choose to walk in unforgiveness or ill will, bitterness, resentment, anger, animosity, you voluntarily put yourself back in a place where there you have to abide by the laws of that land. So basically... Here we are, man. We're full of unforgiveness. I'm angry at this person, angry at that person. 
and suddenly I need, you know, I need healing. And I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I know all the right scripture. In the name of Jesus, Father, your word says this and your word says that and your word says this and your word says that or you're praying for somebody. Well, nothing happens because you've placed yourself in an area where the curse has been reactivated for you. Put that verse back up, please. We'll stop here. He who does not love abides, remains, is held, kept continually in a place of separation from this presence of God. Is that, is that worth holding on to that unforgiveness? Uh, you see, everybody as an individual has to make that decision for themselves. I said everybody as an individual has to make that decision for themselves. I just have one of these comments I want to read from something else. Just, just uh, This is good. <clears throat> Forgiveness is returning to God the right to take care of justice. I'll say it again. Forgiveness is returning to God the right to take care of, of justice. By refusing to transfer the right to exact punishment or revenge to God, we're telling God we don't trust him to take care of our matters. You hear that? I'll read that part again. <clears throat> By refusing to transfer the right, in other words, Lord, I'm going to get rid of this anger. I'm going to just get rid of it. And I'm going to cast the care of this on you. I'm going to get rid of it. Throw it up there. But when I refuse to do that, we're telling God we don't trust him to take care of the situation. And again, that's just foolishness. You all look so happy. No, but anyhow, I hope, some of this is coming across. I know that it's one of these messages that we need to hear at least two or three times a year. But please, I always quote Acts 17.11. Paul said in Acts 17.11, those in Berea were more, well, I don't know, I'm quoted wrong. Those in Berea, put out Acts 17.11, I can't believe it. Moreover than those in Thessalonica, that they received the word with readiness of mind, but they searched the scriptures daily. They searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so, the end of the verse there. And I always used to tell all my Bible school students, <clears throat> you don't have the right to believe anything I say. Go look in the book, find it for yourself. Because again, you can hear all the teaching in the world, but something dramatic happens when you take your time and you take your Bible and you look in the word for yourself. When you see it, you put it in your mouth. That's when change begins to happen for you. In other words, you can't ride on somebody else's victory very long. You need your own. You know what I mean? We all get to pay that price. Hallelujah. Father, we give you thanks that you're uh, so incredibly loving. I mean, we say it so easily sometimes, God loves you or God loves me. Father, we do not want Satan to ever get advantage over us. And you've categorically said that unforgiveness allows him to have a place in us. I pray that you give each and every one of us the moral courage 
to forgive. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to still have anxieties and feelings. It takes a while sometimes. It takes a while. Like when I dealt with horrible, bitter divorces, I guarantee you, it'll take a while for the, for the feelings to stop. But that only begins when you make the decision to forgive now. I forgive. I drop it. I let it go. I give up resentment. I'm not going to hold on to strife and ill will. Father, help me in this. And I guarantee you it's okay to pray. Help. Father, help me here. You, I may be weak in this area, but Father, help me. Strengthen my emotional life. Strengthen my emotions. But help me to see the fruit of obeying this truth of yours. Forgive, 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 so that I can forgive. Forgive, so that I can forgive. You got to give up the anger, the animosity, whether it's about your spouse, your boss, your children, your mom, your dad, your sisters, your brothers. That person that gave you that dirty look on the tube, I don't care who it is. Father, you want us to be Christ-like. And again, like I said, the true definition of Christian maturity really is this. How much of the love of God we will allow to flow through us to the rest of this world. Because I think God's rather spiritually mature. Would you agree with me? Just maybe. And God is love. So love is the greatest display of maturity there is. So Father, I just think that you help each and every one of us. Not one person will sense condemnation. But Lord God, let us receive correction. I've had to over and over again. Whether it be about the guy, my dad, all these things. All through life, people will hurt us. I said, I don't care where you go, what church you belong to, what nation you belong to, people will hurt you because that's what's in the world. It's a fallen world. But I choose to live higher. I choose to live up here. I find myself visiting down there sometimes, but I want to jump right back up to up here. I'm going to live the higher place. I'm going to live up in this plane. I'm going to live from heaven's perspective. Because eternity is in my heart. And that's what I want to be connected to. In the mighty name of Jesus, I speak all this. I speak this life and blessing over every one of our people. That it will really penetrate their heart, their mind, their soul. And that they'll again have the courage. I do speak courage over you. I speak courage over you. I speak a revelation of the difference between emotion and obedience. You do not live by feelings. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. Faith is when you enter into the realm of the miraculous. And Father, we want this church to be literally a home for the miraculous where the supernatural is natural. Because I know you're willing. Oh, man, I know you're willing. Of course you are. That's who you are. 
you're just that's just who you are where you are miracles flow so father we're going to do all that we can to banish all ill will banish bitterness banish resentment it's just gonna it's not gonna linger in my spirit it will not linger in my spirit why don't you just make your own confession right now somehow some way just loud enough for your own ears to hear i'm not gonna linger in anger i'm not gonna linger i'm not gonna stay in the pain of that abuse i'm not gonna stay there any longer i'm not gonna let what happened all those years ago continue to cripple my future how stupid is that i forgive i forgive i release the darkness off of me i release the darkness off of me i will not celebrate pain any longer hallelujah Hallelujah. we believe you've really enjoyed this message for further information visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any sunday 